So as usual, uh, Torah and Tea this week is for the Parsha of Kisisa. And we're going to review uh, two Sichas, based on Lakuta Sichas, Volume 16, the first Sicha of the Parsha's Tisa, and the second thing. But actually, before we do that, I just had a very interesting piece that we studied this morning from the Torah or the Parsha, which actually talks about the same Psukim, but it just has a very powerful lesson in short I just wanted to share with you uh, an idea that he brings down over there. Uh, we know that you know everything comes from Hashem and sometimes we experience uh, a little push. Uh, sometimes we experience a little problem. And of course, you know, why do we get problems? I mean, it's all uh, a reminder from above, maybe things that we did or we should have done. So, the point that the Mimer wants to bring is that when Hashem gives you a push, when God gives you a push, actually, He puts His uh, a support so that you don't really fall. In other words, you need to know that while it may be a little bit of a of a problem, you may have a tzura, you may have a, a difficulty, but you need to know that Hashem is always there, and actually you can grow and become even stronger and bigger. He uses a, a verse that King Solomon said, and he connects it to this week's Parsha, because uh, there is a verse, it's a pretty famous verse, you know, generally... The right hand is associated with an embrace, uh, bringing somebody closer. The left hand is represents gavura, strength, stringency. That's the push. So the verse says, tachas l'roshi, his left hand is under my head. But v'yiminoi t'chabkeni, his right hand hugs me. This is in the uh, the Shira Shirim, the Song of Songs. So, which means that, and everything, of course, is a metaphor for Hashem. While sometimes we experience the Smoile, Hashem's left hand, that's the level of Gavura, the level of uh, judgment, the level of uh, punishment. Smoile, Tachas Lereshi, under my head, you know, dealing with dealing with a pandemic, dealing with uh, depression, dealing with, you know, we have uh, a lot of issues to deal with. And um, so the verse says, while the left hand is tachas l'roshi, his right hand hugs you, which means basically embraces you so that you don't fall, you don't fully, it's a push, but there is a cushion, there is a, uh, a net, and that net is Hashem's hand, His right hand. So it's something very important to remember. And the Rebbe connects this to the beginning of this week's Parsha that we're going to be uh, studying. We're going to discuss this now in the Sikha. So the first verse, the words in the Parsha is, so God says to Moshe saying, and he says, Kisiso 
Esroish Bnei Yisrael Lif Kudayim. This what it what it really means is when you count, when you count the heads of the children of of Israel. Basically, the literally on the simple level, it's talking about when the Jewish people are counted. We're not allowed to count them uh, like one, two, three. Uh, we read in the uh, Navi, and we know from our sages and halacha, you're not allowed to count people. Uh, that brings a plague, as based on this pasuk. So the verse says, when you count the heads of the bnei Yisrael to know their numbers. So the way to count them is each person v'nosnu ish koifer nafshi Hashem. So each person gives an atonement for their soul to Hashem when you count them. So basically, each person will give a coin. Uh, and then you count the coins, and then you see how many people. Don't count the people directly. And it says, So that there will not be a plague when you count them. You can't count them directly. So that's the literal way. We'll talk about this in a minute. But generally we know that uh, the Jewish people, we read this week's Parsha, they made a terrible mistake. And they uh, worshipped, they made this eagle, they made the golden calf. And Hashem was uh, very upset about that with the Bnei Yisrael, with the Jewish people. You know, the story, Moshe Rabbeinu came late one day, according to their calculation, and they weren't patient, they were like, they were patientless. They right away they went, and they saw Moshe Rabbeinu is not coming back. He went up to the mountain. According, he said he'll come back in forty days. According to their reckoning, he was supposed to come down that day. But the truth of the matter is, forty days, meaning with the night, and the first day wasn't that had another night, so it didn't count. So immediately in the fortieth day, they made a terrible mistake, and they made this golden calf. And, uh, Aaron actually helped out, wanting to push them off. And so what happens? So God says, I want to wipe out, I want to destroy the entire Jewish people. He says, I'm going to destroy them all. And Moshe Rabbeinu was pleading with God to forgive them. And uh, going back and forth and pleading and pleading. Until finally Hashem agreed to forgive them. But Hashem did say that he will remember it. In other words, I forgive you, move on. We'll build the base Samikdash, the Mishkan. We'll move on and we'll go forth for Eretz Yisrael. But I want you to know that that whenever I remember, I will remember this day as well. As our sages tell us that Whenever there is a punishment, whenever there is an issue that we have to answer for, there's always a little bit. Uh, there's always a little bit, uh, also of, of, uh, in it always, uh, from the sin of the eagle, which means that Hashem didn't totally, uh, totally forget it. Hashem did not totally forget it, but Hashem so that's the word 
Kudayhem means remember also. So the way the Alter Rebbe says like this is look very interesting. He says, even when we're dealing with Lif Kudayhem, we're dealing when Hashem remembers our sins, but still it starts off by saying, Kisisa Esroish B'nei Yisrael. Literally, not Sisa doesn't mean just counting as it means in the literal sense, but if you translate the word Sisa, it means you will raise. Basically, it means that the heads of the Bnei Yisrael are raised after there is the Kudayim, after there is this remembrance, meaning that if we fail and we make a mistake, it doesn't mean that we're staying down, but it actually means that we, after that, we get even higher. Hashem raises Kisisa, that you raise the head of the Bnei Yisrael. If we have Lifkudayim, Hashem raises their heads into a much higher level. That's the idea of the embrace that Hashem gives with His right hand after the left hand. And we use our mistakes, we use our challenges as a springboard to jump even higher, to raise, to be raised. And uh Rebbe goes through and explains those great land. But I just wanted to share that that word. But anyways, back to our uh, our verse. So, so what do they do? So it says each one will give a an atonement. This is, so this seems to be an arbitrary. If and when you count the Bnei Yisrael, instead of counting them one, two, three, four. And I don't know, In uh, anyways, in our shul, uh, we count for a minion, for a minion of men. So you never count one, two, three, four. They usually say, Hoshia es amecha. They found a verse that has ten, uh, ten words. Hoshia es amecha varech es nachlosecha urein venasim adoilom. Instead of counting one, two, three, four, we use the posik to correspond to the number. Uh... Sometimes people will say, not one, not two, not three. They don't want to count one, two, three. So they count not one, not two, not three. So this verse, the first verse over here, is really an arbitrary. It means if you want to count them, whenever it is, it doesn't. you don't have to count them, but whenever you count them, you don't count them by the numbers, but each person gives an atonement for his soul when he's counted, so that there will not be a plague when you count them. So you don't count them. Fine. Then we talk about another mitzvah, which is the mitzvah machzis ha-shekel. I don't know if you were Purim. I mean, most of you probably didn't make it Purim to the shul. But there's such a thing that people give a, a machzis ha-shekel. They give a, a half a shekel. And that's based on this verse. And the very first time, uh, the communal sacrifices that were brought in the temple, where did they get the funds for that? So the funds were that everybody contributed a half a shekel. And the Torah says later on, you have to give exactly a half a shekel. If you're wealthy, you don't give more. If you're poor, you don't give less. The Pasuk says, Ze yitnu. This they shall give. Who gives this? Kolo Those who are counted. What do they give? 
מחצית השקל? Half a shekel. I have a which shekel? Can be various different measurements in shekel. So it says, the shekel HaKodesh. This has to be in the holy shekel. It had a special weight. Esrim Geira HaShekel. And the shekel is 20 Geira. So Machtsis HaShekel, a half a shekel, which is what? 10 Geira is Trumala HaShem. Should be a separation for HaShem. Every year we have a mitzvah to give a half a shekel. Again, as we said, the half a shekel is used for what? The half a shekel was used to purchase the communal sacrifices which they brought all year round. Now there's a little bit of a strange language that the Torah uses over here. Notice in the verse 13 in Gimel it says, Zeh Yitno. What does Zeh mean? What is the word Zeh? What? This This. This they shall give. What does it mean, this they shall give? What, what is the meaning, this they shall give? It could, it normally, it should have just said that uh, should give a half a shekel. Should give a half a shekel. What does zeh yitno means, this they shall give? So Rashi comments over here, he says that Hashem actually showed him something. He said, zeh, this. God showed. Moshe, something. He says, God showed him a coin that was made out of fire. A coin that was made out of fire. Umishkola, the weight of that coin that Hashem showed him, was machatzis a shekel, was a half a shekel. And he says to him, like this they shall give. He showed him on the fire. He showed him, Hashem says to Moshe, look, this is what you shall give. So, you know, we find, like in the Gemara, we find other items that Moshe Rabbeinu, the Gemara said, had difficulty figuring out. Hashem told them a very intricate, for example, very intricate detail how to build the menorah. The menorah had buttons, it had flowers, it has uh, different stems coming from different parts. Moshe Rabbeinu had difficulty, he didn't know exactly. So it says Hashem had to show him. Okay. Then there is a different kind of the uh, uh, fish, which were the kosher, the non-kosher. I didn't get it exactly, Hashem had to show him. The question is, what's so difficult? Why does Hashem have to show Moshe what a half a shekel is? Presumably that the half a shekel was used over there. So why, why show... Moshe Rabbeinu, a half a shekel. Everybody knows what a half a shekel is, and uh, and um, just just tell him bring a half a shekel. Well, what was the difficulty? 
And also, there's something again. This, the, the strange thing is, if Moshe didn't know what a half a shekel is, why not show him a half a shekel of of solar? I mean, there was half a shekels at the time already, so why show him a half a shekel of fire which weighs a half a shekel? Why not just show him a half a shekel, and that way he will have a very clear understanding of what the half a shekel is. Why show him uh, a fiery shekel and then tell him this is the kind of ring. So so we, we, two, two issues. Number one, what was really Moshe Rabbeinu's issue? What was his problem in the first place that Hashem had to show him? And if he did have a problem, why did Hashem have to show him a fiery coin, why not show him a regular coin? Okay. So basically the question is, why is machatzis a shekel, a half a shekel, difficult to understand? And would it not be better if Hashem showed him an actual machatzis a shekel made of silver? I mean, that would be seemingly a more instructive way for him, for for Moshe to know what to do. So, the Tosos in Chulin, it's in the tractate Chulin, explained the difficulty of Moshe was how can I have a shekel at all? It's not that Moshe Rabbeinu, when, when what Hashem was addressing to Moshe Rabbeinu, it wasn't addressing what a half a shekel is. It didn't have to show him what a half a shekel is. Hashem had to address, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand. Here, the Jewish people did a terrible sin and they worshipped the golden calf. I mean, we read about it later, but this happened before. This is already the half a shekel that they're giving is for the Mishkan that was after. Rashi points out that the story of the eagle and the Torah is recorded not in the correct chronological order. So, the fact that they're giving a half a shekel, as the verse says, we read before, that this is going to be kofer nafshu Hashem. this is going to be an atonement for their soul to Hashem. That means that this gift is actually an atonement for them. So, Tosos explains that Moshe knew what a half a shekel was. That's not his problem. But Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand how can a half a shekel atone for such a grave sin? Sometimes you think that uh, if you did something uh, very wrong, it would take a big effort to uh, correct. It would take a large amount of money. It would take a a big donation to make up for a terrible mistake. The penalty should be something huge. Why does the Torah say you give only a machzis a shekel? So. That's why Hashem showed him, the answer was, He showed him a shekel of fire. 
it's not just a shekel, it's not just a coin, it's not just a half a shekel. It's a shekel made of fire. I want to deviate a little bit because from this particular sikha, which the Rebbe discusses in other sikhas and other talks. Basically, it doesn't matter how much quantity you give. If you give a lot or you give a little. What matter is the quality is to give it with fire, to give it with excitement, to give it with enthusiasm, to give it all you got. Even a half a shekel. Sometimes it actually works the other way around. Sometimes it works the other way around. Sometimes when you give a big donation or you give a large amount you also have a little sense of pride. You feel good about it. And maybe that takes away of the purity of that mitzvah. So you're not really doing it for the mitzvah, but you're doing it a little bit to feel good. You know, you're doing it for yourself. When you do a little bit and you can't take a lot of credit for it because it's at the end of the day, it's not a whole lot. And then when you do it with fire, you do it with passion. You're in it. You do it with love. That's the fire. So even if you have a half a shekel, and maybe just because you only are giving a half a shekel, so you're not taking any much credit for that, that's why that could be an atonement. That can actually atone for you. In the Torah, when it talks about the korbanot, there are some karbanot that the Torah prescribes that it's according to the affordability of the individual. Some people can bring a, a, a full animal, uh, bring a bull as a korban. People who can afford less, not no, but some karbanot there is. People that can afford less can maybe bring birds as a korban and people that can afford even less will bring flour for a mincha as their korban very interesting, the Gemara points out that the Torah when it talks about the poor person's gift, uses the language the soul that brings the offering versus the man that brings the offerings in the previous one, to say that the poor person, because he doesn't give so much, he gives his soul, he gives his whole essence, he gives himself away, totally. I mean, make no mistake, you know, of course, the the poor person, the yeshiva, the uh, institution, they need the big gifts as well, but we're talking about here, to achieve atonement the idea is, if you give it a fire, you give it with 
enthusiasm, you give it with passion, then that can atone. Even a little bit for a big sin, for the ego, it could atone because you gave it with fire. It's interesting that not only was the shekel, half a shekel used to buy the korbanot, but the actual giving a half a shekel was almost like a korban itself. How so? So, for example, what happens if a person wanted to bring uh, we just said, how much? How many geira is a shekel, did we say? 20 or 20. 20. How much is a half a shekel? 10. 10. So let's say somebody wants to bring 5 geira today and another 5 geira tomorrow. Tomorrow, Totals, 5 and 5, 10 geira, half a shekel. No good. Can't do that. You got to bring the whole thing at once. Let's say a person wants to bring not a half a shekel, but he wants to bring the weight of a half a shekel of silver, but not in a coin. Can't do that. The actual, it's like an offering. This is a half a shekel coin is what you give. You know, today, even today, when we do the machatzit shekel on, uh, it says that before, on Purim, before uh, the Megillah reading, or Mincha by Tainus uh, Esther, uh, before we do the uh, Mincha, we give a half a shekel. We specifically have half dollars. We don't need a half shekel, we have half dollars. You give a half of the coin, dollar is the main coin, is our shekel, is a dollar. And a half a shekel is a half a dollar. So, why do we have to give a half a dollar? Why don't we give 25 cents and 25 cents, which equals 50 cents? No, no. You have to actually give a half. You have to give a half a dollar because the mitzvah we're trying to do, it's not the real mitzvah shekel because we don't have the Beit HaMikdash, we don't have the Karma. No, this is just to correspond. But it's the idea, this is a korban that you're giving, and it has to be done that whole th- thing at once. The Rebbe points out that if Hashem, that was the message that Hashem gave him, that fire, that excitement that we said before, that He gave it by giving him, showing him a coin of fire to explain that this coin is a atonement that this this coin that you're given it's not just money it's not 50 cents it's not a half a shekel it's not 10 gera this is a korban this is uh, this is a, something the quality this is a korban and therefore Hashem is showing them all this that it's made 
a fire. That this is all that spirit, the idea over here, you're giving an atonement. You see, in atonement itself, there could be two levels. Sometimes you have a level which you wipe away. Let's say a person got dirty. They got muddy, got some dirt on themselves. So you wipe it down. You wipe it down. Okay, but even if you wipe it down, it doesn't become fully, completely clean. But then there is a second level in which the whole person transforms himself, cleans up that there's like a whole new, it's a new garment. It's not anymore, the garment hasn't been washed down, hasn't been cleaned, but you got yourself a whole new garment. Metaphorically speaking, there is such a thing as immersion in water. Water wipes away, but then there is immersion in fire, like throwing a vessel back into the kiln into the fire, which means it's a creation of the whole vessel, all anew. Represented by this Corbin, by this fire, what Hashem was giving him the message is that not only is it forgive, but it's like a new person. It's a new person. And it almost seems like we can tie this into what I started off that when you make a mistake and then later on you catch yourself and you come back, not only do you go back or you cleaned off from the mistake, but you actually get to go into a higher level than you were in the beginning. Now you're all of a sudden in uh, a more holier place than you started. So if we do make a mistake, we need to go and catch ourselves. But when we catch ourselves, we have to realize that Hashem doesn't really push us away completely. But rather, Hashem provides for us for that net, that safety net, that place to help us and brings us even higher. Yeah, go ahead, Nancy. In the second, uh, in the in this second seat and Kisisa. And over there, it talks about the anointing oil. And it talks about how the anointing oil was made. So, anointing oil was used, they used various different kinds of, of, of spices and, and, and good fragrances. And the Torah gives you the, the different uh, names of the various different fragrances that they used. And uh, and then it says, Kido Chamesh Meyos, that you have uh, Kido, you have 500 weight in the holy shekel. But then it says, Shemen Zayis Hin, a hin of olive oil. A hin is a uh, it was a measurement. A hin would be like uh, 
a gallon, uh, something like that. A hin. It says, so you had a, a little bit of olive oil. So you had the olive oil, those part. What did they do with all these mixtures? And they went and they, next verse says, so what do you do with it, with all these fragrance, with the herbs, with these uh, bark of trees? The Torah says various different things. You make it into a holy anointing oil. Shemen Mishchas Kodesh. And Roikach Mirkachas Masirekech. It is made a mixture altogether, and it becomes holy anointing oil. Okay? That's the way it's made. There's an interesting idea, lesson behind it. How exactly was it made? So, there is two, Rashi brings down, there is two opinions. Some say that they took all these herbs and all these above mentioned that he says before, they put it into oil, and then they cooked it hard, they cooked it in it, and then that's what, that became the anointing oil. The other opinion said, but that wasn't enough. If, if they used, if they cooked all the different ingredients in that amount of oil, he says that there's not enough oil there. It's such a small amount of oil. Even if you just try to smear all of these roots that you put in there, there's not sufficient. So how could you possibly cook all this in this, in this uh, oil? So he says, no. The other one says, no, that's not the way they did it. First, they soaked all of these uh, ingredients. They soaked it all in water. And the reason they soaked it in water so that they should not absorb the oil. So the oil should stay on the top. You pour the oil over the top and the oil got the fragrance from these herbs and then you took the oil off of, you smeared it off off of the roots and that gave you your olive oil, gave you the anointing oil. So basically, what is the, the question is, how did they use that shaman zayis? Either they cooked in the shaman zayis according to the first opinion, or according to the second opinion, they never cooked in it. They just smeared on top of uh, these uh, roots that were already uh, swollen with water because they already soaked them in water. So you can put over the top, you can put the oil. The oil absorbed the smell of the fragrance of these of these herbs this uh, and then you use that oil so the Rebbe explains he says so what's here sometimes we have the process and we have the end product and what is 
most important? Is most important the process or most important is the end product? And a lot of times we have a conflict in our lives. Where do we put the emphasis? Do we put the emphasis on the process or on the finished product? Why are we saying that? On one hand, the Torah says you should make holy anointing oil. So what is the end product? The end product has to be oil. But according to the first opinion that they cooked it and in the oil and it dissolved, you didn't have oil over there. You had a mush. You had a mixture of all these fragrance and all these roots, whatever, boiled up, heated up inside of that oil. And that became now the oil. So if most important for us is to get end up with oil, we didn't succeed at that because we don't have any oil here. All what you have is a melted down mixture of oil with all the other fragrances. So, according to the second opinion, Rabbi Yehuda, he, he is of the view that the most important thing for us is the end game. Is the, the Torah says that you make, that you need to have holy anointing oil. Shemen mishchas koydeshiyah, you need oil. And therefore, you're not going to have oil if you're going to cook all those uh, items, the ingredients inside the oil, and therefore that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is smear it on top, let it absorb, and then you'll have the oil. On the other hand, the other rabbi says, the Torah tells you the procedure, the Torah says, it has to be a mix, a good mix, these ingredients got to be mixed together. So, if you wanted to follow the procedure, you know, like you get a, a recipe. So, here is the recipe. We have a conflict. The recipe says like this. You got to take all the ingredients that we gave you, and you got to mix it all together in a bowl. So, if you want to follow the recipe then you got to mix it all together. But then, after the recipe, it tells you, oh, what are you going to get the result? You're going to get oil. So, which is the emphasis that we put on? If we put the emphasis on what we should, on the process, that it needs to be a mixture, because that's the procedure. So then we have to cook it in the oil, because... That's the real way. If you're just going to smear it on top of the roots and you're going to get a little of the fragrance, that's not really going to be that much oil. That's not going to get really that much of a mixture. And this approach is always what we have to do, a mitzvah. We have to do a... uh, The preparation for the mitzvah takes a lot of time also, you know, to get to be able to do the mitzvah properly. Uh, some rabbis believe, don't worry about, I'll tell you a story, 
just we'll leave it with that because I see we're running out of time over here. So they once wanted to travel to the Rebbe for Shabbos. In the olden days, there was no cars, there was no easy transportation. They used to get together a few people. They used to hire a wagon driver with a wagon and they used to hop on and take a a trip, take two days, three days to get from the village to come to the rabbi to the city. So there was one of the elderly rabbis, he wanted to go to the Rebbe, but he had a habit that he would pray very long. It took him a long time, the prayers. But it was very late. It was very late. And they wanted to get in time to come to the to the Rebbe on, for Shabbos. And they knew if this guy is going to pray for a long time, the prayers, they're not going to have time. So they didn't want to take him along. They said, look, it's not going to be enough time. But he said, I really want to go. I want to go see the Rebbe. Let me go. So they said on one condition. If you promise that you're not going to pray long, you're just going to pray like everybody else. You're going to do it quickly so we can get on time. Then we'll take you long. So he said, okay, you got a deal. Now, he made the deal, but then when it came to time to davening, the next morning, he's davening and davening and davening. So the other people said to him, but we made up a deal. You know, the deal was that uh, that you're not going to daven long. He says, look, I'll tell you a parable. He says, a person was coming to the marketplace, to Leipzig. They used to travel to sell his wares. And then on the way, halfway there, he sees somebody, say, oh, I need exactly what you're selling. He's going to tell him, no, no, I can't sell it to you. i got to go to Leipzig because I, this is what, no, it's a fool because somebody's buying the uh, merchandise right here. You don't have to get it. He says, why do I go to the Rebbe? I go to the Rebbe so I can daven. Now I'm here in the middle of the way and it's really, I have a fire. It's a coin of fire. I'm davening so Gishmak, I'm so enthusiastic about my davening. So what am I going to say? No, 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 no. I'm not going to daven here. Go. The end is they waited in time. The point here is sometimes the process till we get to it, that, that process itself is a service in of itself. How much concentration, but we got to do both. We got to do the process Till we get to our destination, till we get to our goal, we got to do that properly. And sometimes we can't accomplish both. I guess if there's a Rebbe, you ask what to do. Otherwise, I don't know. But this is just the idea of these two ways, trying to be perfect on the process or trying to be perfect at the end results. And I guess we got different approaches about it. All right. That leaves the lesson for today. Hope we learned something.